What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Mogan, joined virtually to my left by Jared Wilson. Hi. Yeah, I was trying to think in my head if that works. Yes, and I think it is to your left. Yeah, I think. Well, you're, you're always on my left side, so I was like, oh, God, it's been so long. What side does Yes, that's right. That's right. On? That's right. Because even, even when I make the final version and edit, because I actually have to switch our, our screens because when I edit it, because for the video side, because I'm on the left on the recording, so I switch it to where I'm on the right and then you're on the left. So, yes, it works. So, yeah, to, okay. to your left, it's me. Good. Hi, everybody. Yeah, welcome to Team Chat Podcast, a video game podcast where we talk about games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. Uh, New episodes come out every Tuesday, uh, and then I've read 9 a.m. Central Time, I think is what it is, Uh, and something, something, I kind of forget, I kind of, I blank out. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you hear? New episodes come out on Tuesdays, 9 a.m. Central Time, and you can listen to those on podcast services around the World Wide Web, oh, such cool. as uh, pod, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and others. You can also watch a video version of each episode over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Team Chat Podcast. Find us on social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can join our Discord server, where we have a lot of great gaming discussions and discussions outside of games and stuff too when we're not here recording the show. And finally, if you really love the show and would like to help us continue to make the show bigger and better, you can head over to patreon.com slash teamchatpodcast where it's for as little as a dollar a month. You can support the show and in return, we'll give you cool perks like getting the episodes early before their general Tuesday release and access to a private channel on the Discord server, the Rogues Gallery, along with some other special goodies and bits along the way that the patrons get first access to. But as I've said before, we're still continuing to donate 100% of our Patreon proceeds to Black Lives Matter. So please, if you have not done so, please consider uh, supporting Black Lives Matter and supporting that great cause and helping end the fight or help the fight for racial equity and against racial inequality and police brutality in this country. So we have links for all that in the description below where you can go directly to the Black Lives Matter donation page. But if you can't give us any support through Patreon, that's totally fine. We still appreciate and love all of your support that you can give us through other ways such as writing us a review, telling your friends, and just, you know, being a good listener and a pal showing up every week. We love it. So a great big support. Thank you to all of our patrons, listeners, viewers alike. Heart emojis there it is i'm getting better at this hard emoji with the hands I'm getting a little bit it's better with hard it. jared <laughs> <laughs> well it's still, still sometimes weird looking through the see like that one's too thin that looks well, like nothing yeah, there yeah, there's there's something there, there it is it per- just perfect Boom. oh no now mine's wrong because see? you freaked me see? out it's not <laughs> no, as easy as you think it is out. it's easy <laughs> <laughs> well before we get into the main topic of the day let's get a little bit of news on what's coming out soon in our moment with mogan All right, so actually, because this episode is coming out after we have just done two back-to-back streaming weeks, this is mostly going to be a retrospective because a bunch of stuff came out, and I want to make sure uh, people aren't missing anything. So as of August 1st, Fall Guys Uh, Ultimate Knockout came out for PlayStation 4 and PC. Uh, So obviously it's not out yet when we're recording this, but we're really excited about it, uh, and you will be uh, seeing us play this game very soon indeed. Or you've seen Uh, us, technically, because this is, we're we're switching around, so we're recording this before 
but it's releasing after. So we're doing a, we're doing the, the two back-to-back streams that Mogan was talking about as we had done our stream nights. We did one for Crash Team Racing, which was a lot of fun. Thank you, everybody, for joining us so on that much one. Fun. But then since Fall Guys is coming out, and we've been excited about Fall Guys, and we want to try something new, we're going to do another back-to-back uh, stream week with some Fall Guys goodness. So we've already played the game. We're assuming what I was joking with Mogan before we recorded this. We should record two versions. One where we're like, the game is awesome and we love it. The second one, we're like, it really wasn't that great. So, you know, either, depending on how this feels is, you know, how we'll react to it in this episode. But yeah. you know, there. So Fall Guys. It looks like a uh, great so time. Yes. That's Fall Guys. And then Hellbound came out for PC on August 4th as well. Scully for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC is out now. Brawlhalla for iOS and Android. Brawlhalla's been out for a while. Brawlhalla has been out for a while. I remember I played that one at RTX 2015 when it was still like in beta, I believe. And then it's... It's still just slowly, it's just out there, just growing slowly throughout over so, the years, you know? I guess it's finally made it to mobile, so Brawlhalla for iOS and Android, out now. Uh, Fast and Furious Crossroads for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Not gonna lie, I kinda didn't know they made Fast and Furious games. I probably should have. I feel like I whatever. heard about this one, and then it was immediately just like, don't care. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, Hori- I think this is correct. Horizon Zero Dawn for PC is out yes. now as well. Yes. Wait, that's on. Uh, wait, what? Which day? August seventh. <gasps> coming up very soon. Oh my god, I forgot that was so soon. Oh yeah. my goodness. Oh. You're going to be really happy about I that. Wanna pl- I want to play that game on PC. I, I think oh, I do. It's going to look so it good. It, oh, it's going to melt my face off with how good it looks. <laughs> it's going to be great. Uh, Inertial Drift for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC also came out on August seventh. Hyper Space. Escape uh, for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC comes out as of this episode's air date on August 11th. And then finally, coming soon, we have Metamorphosis for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC on August 12th. On the 13th, we have Total War Saga Troy for mm. PC. Deliver Us the Moon. What a, a poetic sounding game. Yeah. Uh, comes out for the Switch on August 14th. I don't even want to say it. It like makes my mouth feel bad to form these words. Um, EA Sports UFC 4 uh, for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One comes out on <laughs> August 14th. I, I assume that's Ultimate Fighting, but just... Bleh. Just not <laughs> <Yeah>. our cup of tea. <laughs> Those are my very non-substantiated opinions on that. And that's everything coming soon. Boom. There we go. Well, for to our big main topic of the day, we want to throw it back. We've had a couple big review episodes lately, so we want to throw it back to the old standby format of doing a, a good old list. List episode love for you. This. Listing off yes, some list. our top three, or not top three, just three examples of a certain games that's fit into a topic. This one, we're throwing it back, though. We're bringing back a topic that we, again, we were talking about this before we started recording. This blew us away that it had been so long since we've done this topic, but we're bringing back a topic from episode 23. That's right. Episode 23. We're on episode 214 right now. Episode 23. We did memorable moments in gaming. How we have not revisited this. I mean, I know we've talked about tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of memorable topic, memorable moments from games throughout the remaining episodes since that one but still have we how have we have not like brought it back to just talk about three memorable moments from games since episode 23 blows my I mind can't believe it because honestly when we were like oh yeah we should do another installment of that topic i was like oh no what am i going to talk about that we haven't already talked about in surely the five other installments of this episode that we did right wrong wrong <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I know. And, and after I realized that, I was like, oh, well, that it really kind of hit me how many games I've played for the first time since that episode came out. So yeah. what a world of possibilities. It's a whole new world, as Aladdin says. Good heavens. But uh, yeah, so so we're going to uh, break down. We each brought three. <laughs> Uh, memorable moments from some different games that we have played in the last few years and we're gonna just share those with you all so mogan kick us off with what is your number three spot i'm going to be starting with one of my personal favorites very near and dear to my heart we've talked about the game before but not really in depth this particular character okay and her extremely fantastic arc so i'm going to be talking about hollow knight ah. uh, and more specifically the We'll call it the final hour of triumph of cloth. Have you ever heard me talk about cloth? No, I don't think so. I honestly oh, thought you were gonna get, you were gonna talk something about Hornet, which I was like, nope. I'm I'm strapped in and ready to hear some more I Hornet lore. But no, I don't think I've heard you of cloth suckers. at all. <laughs> so <laughs> cloth is actually a character that was added to Hollow Knight as part of a Kickstarter backer reward. Oh. Um, I think somebody pledged whatever odd amount to be able to contribute a character to the game, and that's where cloth comes from. So Cloth gets her name from the kind of burlap sack-looking mask that she wears over her over her head and face. So if you're looking at her, she's actually like a kind of big, stocky, cicada-shaped gal. Mm-hmm. So she's real, um, I guess you would say squirt, but she's squirt. really like... She, she, I don't know what else to say. No, just, how, how you would say squirt? I'm like, squirt. I've never heard that descriptor before. <laughs> Uh, so Cloth is, she's about twice the size of the knight. So the knight is really little and then Cloth is pretty big. And she's also much like stockier and rounder than him. Yeah. And she carries on her, like over her shoulder, what is basically just a big kind of claw shaped club. And that's because, you know, like a cat's claw, kind of how they're shaped and they have like a thin point and then they fan out in either direction. Mm-hmm. That's what her weapon looks like. But it's basically just a big blunt club that she wields, just bashing people in the face. So you encounter Cloth at a couple of different points in the game, assuming you find her. So again, this is highly spoilery for a side story, you know, a non-story essential um, side arc in Hollow Knight. So if you don't want to hear this, maybe just plug your ears for the next five minutes and tune back in at the mark or whatever. I will, I will I say, just to, just to interject, we, I know some of these will, uh, yeah, have some spoilers along with that. So in if you go into the descriptions, uh, there are chapter marks about timestamps for when the different we talk about the different games so if you don't want to hear about hollow knight or any of the other games that we're talking about uh today don't want things spoiled from those just check out the description you'll see where the new sections start and you can skip ahead with ease so exactly so uh meeting cloth in and of itself is a nice little adventure that happens so assuming you do this in the right order which is you encounter her at certain points in the game where she is most likely to pop up Uh, You will initially find her right outside of, so you encounter her in the fungal wastes kind of right before it turns into the City of Tears. And you basically run over a stretch of ground and then the ground behind you shakes and you're like, oh, what's going on here? And then she like pops out of the ground. She just like comes up out of nowhere. And she, you initially think like, oh my God, am I going to have to fight this thing? Because you have to fight everything in Hollow Knight. Everything is trying to kill you. And it's just this big squirt friend and she like has this really wonderful battle cry of like oh and it's like it (laughs) it shakes the walls basically because she's so wonderful uh so she 
pops up out of the ground and she just immediately starts talking to the knight and she's like, oh, what ho, tiny traveler? Have you also come to... I don't remember exactly what she says. I'm very much paraphrasing. But it's something to the extent of, have you also come down here to test your metal? Basically saying that Cloth is down here specifically for the purpose of battle. She's descended into Hallow Nest, which is just rife with danger and enemies at every turn, to test herself against the monsters of Hallow Nest, more or less. So she's asking the knight if that's what um, it's also doing there. Obviously, the knight does not talk, so I guess she just fills in the blanks of whatever she assumes it is saying. Uh, and then you basically just go on your way. So you encounter Cloth. She tells you that there's a fierce tribe right below where you're at, which she's alluding to the Mantis tribe. Uh, and then you just leave. And Cloth stays behind, and you're like, okay, peace out. Bye, awesome squirt friend. Uh, and you move on. The next time you encounter her is, oh, which one is it? I think it's, <laughs> I think it's in Deep Nest. So you get to Deep Nest, and you eventually, like, claw, because Deep Nest sucks, you claw your way up to a a bench, the the best the thing you can points. possibly encounter, the sacred land of the bench in Never Deep Nest. Never been so happy to see a bench as I am in, in Never been night. so happy. So you finally find a safe area, you find a bench, and right outside of that bench area, like, kind of sad and hunched over and looking very beaten down is Cloth. And she's not her usual chipper, brave self. She, she's actually like kind of down on herself and you're like oh no cloth what's going on and you talk to her and she's like man i didn't really realize that the the beasts of this land were so ferocious and you're like oh i feel really bad i know it's rough cloth let, let me tell you i've died many many times as well it's no big deal you can just come back using your spare soul again and again right everybody can do that <laughs> so again you rest on the bench and you leave and cloth just kind of stays there I think the penultimate time that you encounter her, and I might be missing one. I kind of feel like I'm missing one of the interim, but I can't remember it, so whatever. Uh, the second to last time that you encounter her is in the Ancient Basin. So again, you're in the Ancient Basin. You're just kind of minding your own business, going around, doing your thing. You get to a point where there are just a ton of enemies kind of just on this flat plane. And you're like, why are all these enemies just chilling on this normal flat plane? What's mm -hmm. going on here? So you kill them all, and then the ground shakes again, and up pops Cloth. And you're like, oh, that's what they were after. Cloth is here. And initially she's talking to you, and again, she's really down on herself because she's, you know, striving to be this mighty warrior. But she confesses to you that, uh, you know, she couldn't take those monsters. She hid in the ground. You know, she's really bummed out about her own cowardice, which she came into Hallownest in the first place. I strong, I hotly contest the idea that she is a coward because I love her very dearly. But she's very sad, and she's like, oh, man, if you, a tiny warrior, handily took care of all of these on your own with no fear. And basically by talking to the knight and just kind of talking these things out, she talks herself back up out of her own, you know, sadness about being a coward. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she's like, no, I'm not just going to hide in the ground. I am going to be the mighty warrior that I know I can be. And you're like, huzzah, good job, Cloth. And then, of course, you leave. You leave again. So the last time that you encounter Cloth is in the Queen's Gardens. So this can go a couple of different ways. Uh, most decisions in, Ho in um, Hollow Knight are... They, they can often have two different paths to them. This is one that also has two different paths. So if you don't interact with Cloth um, at those particular points in the game, this final thing does not happen. So this assumes that you have done all of the other kind of chats with Cloth. Mm -hmm. 
So in the Queen's Gardens is a optional boss, uh, an optional boss, uh, called the Traitor Lord. And he used to be one of the Mantis Lords uh, in the Fungal Wastes, um, but he defected. He decided to take the infection voluntarily into himself because it would make him stronger. And he basically founded his own separatist tribe that made their home in the Queen's Gardens. He's a bad, bad dude, and he's full of infection. And also, he's huge. Uh And when you encounter him, you're like, oh, shorts, this is going to be bad. (laughs) So uh, if you get to that point and you have talked to Cloth all of the times, you get to the room where the traitor lord is, and of course all the exits lock, and you're like, oh no, this is going to suck. So the fight actually starts by you fighting a bunch of scrubby mantises, just mm-hmm. like the little minion ones. And as you're fighting them, more and more of them keep appearing, and then, descending from the heavens, like the mighty comet that we all knew she was, cloth straight up like anime style, just drops out of the ceiling and smashes a mantis to death with her club in the process. Oh, and you're that's like, awesome. oh, shit. <laughs> so, and then she, as she, like, comes up from killing that mantis, she does her classic, like, battle cry, and you're like, yes, it's all happening, I'm so happy. So she stays with you for the entire fight. She helps you fight the mini mantises. And then when the traitor lord shows up, she helps you fight the traitor lord. Mm-hmm. So the traitor lord is hard. And having Cloth there to help you, she does actually do damage. It's not like she's there just for so- for show. She's actively doing damage. To the extent that I saw somebody do uh, on YouTube a hitless, all-cloth traitor lord fight where they basically just hid from the traitor lord and let cloth do all the damage and oh, it man. took like it took like 6 minutes because cloth doesn't do a ton of damage but she did it cloth can in fact defeat the traitor lord entirely on her own That's if you hilarious. let her so obviously i didn't do that i was fighting right alongside cloth which what a good feeling my mm. heart swelled with pride and the joy of camaraderie and then uh-oh and then, Uh-oh. so the fight nears its end. Uh, the traitor lord is nearly defeated, and Cloth herself strikes the final blow. She kind of does this spinning jumping attack with her club, mm-hmm. where she jumps into the air, spins, and then slams down the club. She is in the air, and the traitor lord, with one of his, because he's a mantis, um, with one of his scythe arms, just stabs directly <gasps> into Cloth's abdomen, and you know you know it's a killing blow. So in the air, like she's in the air on the edge of his scythe, and she's like, bitch, you thought, and she slams down the club onto his head, killing him, delivering the final Dang. blow. And they both fall to the ground, and they are both dead. And you're like, Cloth, no! They're the only way to, this is, again, a mild spoiler, the only way to save Cloth is for the fight to never happen. But what kind of victory is that? Yeah. Because after you leave the area and come back, you find that um, Cloth's spirit is kind of still occupying that space, and you can talk to her ghost form. Hmm. And when you talk to her ghost, she's like, ho ho! What a mighty jaunty fight that was indeed! Like, she's not bummed about it, she's happy. Yeah. She got to go out the way that she wanted to. She got to actually become the warrior that she knew she could be, mm-hmm. and she's she's proud of herself, and she's happy with the end that she's had. And it's just like, oh, Cloth, I miss you so much. But also, I understand that this is what you needed for your own personal journey. So even though I'm very sad that you're dead, I'm so proud of you. 
So you can talk to her and she's basically just saying, like, I'm so proud of... She doesn't say I'm so proud of myself, but she's like, yes, we did it. Kudos to us. And then she basically alludes to someone else named Nola. You don't really know who that person is, but she says Nola is waiting for me. Mm -hmm. So you assume that she's had someone in her past that is also dead, that she's like, all right, cool. I'm dead now too. Let's go join together in the afterlife. Yeah. And of course you can exercise her spirit from the living realm basically by using your dream nail. So that's exactly what I did. And that was the thrilling conclusion to the, to the arc of cloth in hollow Knight. Man, I love her so much. That's cool. And that's really cool. Cause no, I, and, and on all the times that we've talked about Hollow Knight, I don't think you've ever told me anything about cloth. So this is fun to get a new, like to hear a new story from this game. And I, I want to go, I want to go look at videos now and, and watch this fight because I know I probably won't get to it in the game for a very <laughs> long time. So it's, it's supposed to like, that sounds super cool and cinematic where she like gets down and is like, Nope. Bam. And still oh, winds up killing the wonderful. boss. That's and awesome. You're just like, I, I love that it's also that even though you, the knight, are almost certainly the one dealing the final blow, the game's like, no, it was cloth. And I'm yeah. like, yes, that's exactly the end that I wanted. That's Huzzah. Cool. That's super awesome. That sounds like a really cool fight. Yeah, I'll have to go, oh, I'll have to go look up videos of that for sure. Well, my uh, first entry into this is one uh, comes from a little bit more of a peaceful game than than Hollow Knight from the from the great battle that we just heard told to us but uh my first game is actually greece and what and oh yeah so again what i this one does have spoilers for the end of greece so if you want to skip these i actually i will just say all of mine do <laughs> like they're pretty spoilery things so <laughs> just pick pick which topics ever you want whatever, whatever you want to hear but uh anyway so from greece what i wanted to talk about is specifically the ending and uh the moment where how what greece is is it's somewhat i would say left up to the player's interpretation, what your main character is actually feeling slash going through in this game. But the whole, the point of it more is it does seem to be a journey through, through grief or to, or from, or maybe potentially out of a, uh, depressive state that, that the main character is in, because it starts off with these very bleak colorless world that as you slowly traverse through the game, you unlock different colors, which brings more life back to the world, which brings more vibrancy back and all of this stuff through it. And so after you have gone through this world and complete and complete this game, again, there aren't really enemies in Greece at all. There's just like environmental challenges and puzzles you have to figure out is the main form of uh, conflict, I would say, in this game. But throughout it, you are chased by some dark form. That takes many different shapes. At one point, I believe it looks like a bird. Um, oh, the bird. And uh, other places, it's just like a dark force that is growing and spreading throughout the game. And you, and so, you know, as the player, you interpret that as these either a the grief that the character is feeling, or the, the again the depress the depression or something like that that's just weighing heavily on the character and your character's psyche. And so you go through, and as you slowly are going through these worlds too, you complete each place each area you bring back this world and life to it but it also is recreating this statue uh and everything slowly piece by piece as you're going through and building this world well at the very end you you make it through this final stage and you are brought before this statue and the last little pieces of it start to come together bring together revealing that it's a statue of yourself and like a and a and everything so you're looking at it and you're bringing this thing back into the whole piece. But as you're doing that, this black darkness 
is coming at you again and pushing up after you and, and you're, you're feeling this tension and the music's really kicking up, which again, I will say the Grease sound, the Grease soundtrack is fantastic. It's wonderful. Like it's a perfect one for just having on like in the background, but it is able to just really pull some raw emotion. And especially in a game that is pulling from a emotional place as well already yeah. that it really just combines with this. So you're feeling this tension, you're feeling the struggle as you sense that this impending doom is creeping up on you as you feel so close to the final stage of your journey. And so this, but as this force is coming towards you, the final piece of this, of the statue is able to be put together, which then allows you throughout the whole game. Another part of it is at certain points you would sometimes sing or be able to sing to like activate some part of the world. And at the beginning stages of the game, you couldn't at all. Like you, you could barely make a, a, a small sound. And that was another part that's being restored throughout this game. Not only is the world being brought back to life in vibrancy and color, the statue being remade, but you're also slowly regaining your voice. And so at this moment, the statue comes together, which allows you to fully sing and have your voice back, which pushes back this dark, this darkness finally and totally abolishes it and like, you know, uh, destroys it in a spectacular fashion. And, then after that, this world is brought back together and then you're just being able to like, escape, you know, it's the visual representation of you being able to escape from whatever, what had been weighing you down. And it, so it was, an, and I remember playing this part and just being struck. And again, like how heavy the, the, the heartstrings was, were being pulled by this game and an emotion. And I think for a couple of different reasons, one, it was just incredibly well done storytelling. And it was one that just like the whole game, I think Greece is one of those that it's one that I was like, this looks interesting. I'm intrigued by how beautiful the game looks. I'm intrigued by the, 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 you know, the art, the, the story of it and kind of this, this mystery of what you're trying to do. But I also, it's, I would say it's a bit outside of the norm of what I normally play. And so getting it into it, I was just very much like, oh man this emotion is building up really well. And I'm just, I, this is so well done and how they mix and how it make so important. This em heavily emotional music is how uh, beautiful this world and seeing it being restored is just like, it's all just was stirring and building up in me. But then also, I think what also made it register and impact so much with me is around that time is when I just suffer suffered a loss in my family. And so I think just having that, those things combined, like really made a power, like it really hit different. I feel like, and really kind of stuck. And I mean, and I mean to some extent I feel like, and so it's just like, yeah, those parts of it, I think, I think the game the game's ending would have been powerful enough on its own, but I think it was one of those things. It was played at the right time in, in my personal life kind of thing. And so it really just like struck, st struck a different chord. And so I just remember it. And now just like, even when I hear the music of Greece and everything like that, like I still just kind of remember like, Oh man, how freeing that was of seeing this, like this person being released of, of the character being released from this, this weight that was on their shoulder and this, like the sadness or this depression that they'd been feeling. And so I just feel like it hit at a very, at the perfect time for me to really understand and connect with that game. And I think it, and it honestly helped at the time. Because it was just a very, it was a very rough pet, rough part as, as it always is whenever you lose a family member or something like that. So it was just a very, uh, yeah, it just hit at the right time and it was, a, and it yeah. just made for a truly emotional experience to play. And so I think as I look back, that is like, that is the memory and the, and the emotion and the feeling that I associate with Greece, but it is in a, in a positive way. 
And so I think it just speaks to, uh, again, the how well written that game was, how well constructed it was, and just how well, in general, another example of how games can be of a helpful force or a helpful work of art that for people yeah. to enjoy and, and to allow people an escape. So for those reasons that the ending of Greece really resonated with me and definitely has to be one of my memorable moments of gaming for the last few years. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't think of Greece when I was doing this list myself, but I absolutely could have if it had like registered mm-hmm. at the time when I was making my notes. Uh, that game is a masterclass. It was so in- good in visual and musical storytelling because there's no dialogue at all uh it's just all the story is through visual cues um character emotion and through music Mm -hmm. and it does it so well i mean it is just such a beautifully artfully crafted game 10 out of 10 10 out of it yeah i I mean really we i know we sang its praises when we did our review on it and everything uh i don't remember which episode that is but you you can find it on all the places we may search have for done it, an entire yeah it, yeah it's, we did it's we did it was there. an entire and you can't it, miss it yeah because it's just the, the the cover art is just like boom right there is of the art of the game but no it yeah, yeah it was a it was one that we dedicated a whole episode to it because we had both it was one we had both played and stuff like that um but yeah. yeah so go back and check that one out for our full thoughts on the rest of the game but if you have not played greece yet yeah give it a shot because it was fantastic it was so good um but yeah, so that was my first memorable moment of gaming for this list. Well, uh, my second one, <laughs> you can tell that I was in a specific mood when I was thinking of these moments because I'm realizing now that my at least three and two have a number of similarities. And I'm like, oh, shit, am I basic? I might be. But my number two comes from, and this is the least spoilery one. So you can more or less safely listen to this one and only a small fraction of the game will be spoiled for you. So my number two comes from Octopath Traveler, and it is the character Therion's chapter one prologue. So for those of you that are unfamiliar with Octopath Traveler, it's a game that in which you can play as uh, eight different eight 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 different characters uh, at the same basically at the same time. So you can interchange between their individual story arcs at any given time. And to progress the story, you really have to. You have to play. Well, I guess you don't technically have to, but it would be really bad and difficult to not play any individual characters' arcs one, two, three, and eventually their fourth one. Mm-hmm. And it's generally um, it's generally the case that the fourth tier is the final character arc. I have only completed two out of the eight. Uh, I have finished Tressa's, and I have just finished Ophelia's uh, chapter fours. So Therion's, though, is one of the most... Not necessarily iconic, but it's one of the more memorable ones, I think because it so successfully draws on kind of classic tropes from adventure-style media like books, television shows, movies, adventure, stuff like that, uh, kind of mixed with elements that we would most commonly associate with Dungeons & Dragons, for example, and really kind of like anime, too. At the time that I was playing it, I was like, wow, this fight is so anime. (laughs) So the... uh, battle that I'm going to be talking about is not necessarily a single battle in and of itself. It it really is, but it's also the setup leading to that. Mm -hmm. So Therion is a thief, and he is a very, very egotistical thief. He thinks that he is just D-shiz, that he can steal anything, and that nobody can catch him. He's tough stuff. Mm -hmm. So he arrives in this town, I want to say it's Cliff something, 
I don't remember exactly what the town is called, so sorry about that. Do you, but he arrives in this. Yeah. Sorry. Do you play or could you play as him in the demo? You this, could. I, yeah, yeah. Because I, I feel like I played. I think I played his this story. So I think I'm actually yes. like, I know what you're okay. talking about. Okay. I, I actually forgot about the demo. I, I think I played. Oh, in the demo, I played Tressa's demo. And then okay. I continued with her for my main character for my first playthrough, which she technically still is. I'm still Tressa on main um, as I finish up these other characters' chapter fours. Because mm-hmm. um, I've gotten to the point of having everyone's chapter fours unlocked. Now I'm just having to go through and actually finish them out because isn't in um, that game you don't you have to you meet the side characters and then you have to do like their first chapter or something like that exactly. to then have them join your group yeah okay yes. so i was the uh what's the the hunter character hanit hanit and everything i was i was playing as hanit and then i went to this city and recruited therion first so that's how, so yes. yeah okay okay so I recruited Therion, I think he was my fifth character, because I started as Tressa and then kind of circled around West, and that's where you encounter Therion. So I both love and hate Therion. As a as a player, as a player character in your party, what a champion. Mm-hmm. God, he can just, he's kind of a glass cannon, but he can just get SP, which is your magic power, endlessly because of his abilities and he can get two hits as a result of that so just as like his mechanical abilities he's great i love him to death his personality what an asshole (laughs) what an (laughs) asshole (laughs) he is just so full of himself he is such a tool i hate him so much but also i love him because i'm like yeah okay whatever i guess it's kind of cool you're a thief sort of uh so you show you roll up into this town into this town as therion and you're just kind of looking for your next score basically and you go to the local tavern to the local barkeep and you talk to the bartender and he kind of tells you like, he's just kind of spinning tales, you know, as bartenders do. And he's like, oh man, are you new here? Have you heard about the mythic family treasure of Ravis Manor? And it's like, oh, what, you have my attention? Do go on. So it, basically the bartender tells you, tells you that at the top of this town is Ravis Manor, this um, ancient familial stronghold of the Ravis family. And they supposedly have this mythical you know invaluable treasure in the manor and they have security all over the place it's impenetrable you'll never get in bro sorry your thieving skills aren't good enough and therion takes the bait hook line and sinker and he's like well bitch that's what you think i can get in there so of course all full of himself that, that he is you get up to Ravis Manor, and it is indeed heavily guarded. There aren't only physical guards, there are dogs all over the place. I think you actually fight some of the dogs if you do things wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you get into the manor by basically lying to the guards. You have to be like, oh, well, I'm a merchant. I'm here selling silks. And the guards are like, bro, you look like a hobo. <laughs> and you're like, well, can't you tell that my fancy purple scarf is the finest quality cloth you've ever seen the lady of your house will be most displeased if you don't let me in and they're like "Mm, okay i guess you can come in so they let you pass so you don't actually have to fight the guards in that case but you have to get into the manor by going through an open window which in and of itself i just love that imagery of like a thief stealing in through the window Mm -hmm. so that part i liked a lot once you're inside the manor 
it's treated by the game as a dungeon, but you're just in somebody's super fancy house. So you're going around, obviously, robbing them blind of any treasures you can find. And all throughout the manor, you are, of course, having random encounters with enemies, most of which are guards, dogs, and I think a couple of other types of, you know, security-type enemies. Uh, eventually, you get to the treasure room, which is very very cinematically laid out, we'll say. So you get to the treasure room, and against a far wall are four pedestals, each individually with a what would have been an orb on a stand on each of these pedestals. Three of the stands are empty, but one of them still contains like a cobalt blue orb. And you're and you know, Therion at this point it goes into a cutscene, and Therion is like, This is it. This is the famous treasure of House Ravis or whatever. He's obviously being a cocky douchebag as he <laughs> as he does. And then from off screen, I love it when characters come from off screen and like you hear them before you see them. Uh, from off screen, you hear a very, because the, the voice acting in Octopath Traveler is done up to the nines. I mean, it is really active. And anytime there's a cutscene, each character, even the NPCs, has actual audible dialogue, the whole thing, not just like little sounds of gasps or whatever. So from off screen, you hear a very distinguished, refined, gentlemanly voice say something to the extent of that's not any ordinary treasure and i'm a little disappointed that you can't tell as such like basically burning you at the same yeah. time that he's announcing his presence uh, and therion is very taken aback because he turns he like whips around and he's like what how did you sneak up on me like nobody sneaks up on me and in comes this character that we will eventually know as heathcote so he's dressed like just the fanciest butler you mm -hmm. ever did see. He's he's an older gentleman. He's got totally white gray hair at this point. Tied back in like an old school nobleman's like ponytail with the ribbon around the ponytail. And he's wearing like a, a waistcoat. I think that's the word for it. He's just clearly super fancy. And he's just giving you the business for being a full of yourself asshole uh and basically he's explaining to therion like this is one of the famous dragon stones of house ravis uh and most thieves don't make it in here and congratulations i'm very pleased with your progress that you've made it this far and therion's like what you old man get out of here i'm gonna fight my way out with this crystal blah 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 uh and heathcote is like that's what you think. <laughs> so in very anime style, you know, Therion goes at Heathcote as if to uh, not, you know, knock him down and make out with his treasure. Mm -hmm. And Heathcote whips out a sword and like deflects his attack and like throws Therion back. And he's like, doggo. Mm, <laughs> Quick break for a doggo. Good boy. Um, and, and so he knocks uh, Therion back handily. No issues had. And then you enter into the boss battle of of, uh, of Therion's chapter one, which is against the butler of House Ravis. Man, I totally How forgot cool about this. It, it is super cool, but I totally it forgot was, that that's who you super fight. super cool. Yeah, so he's like this awesome old gentleman, and he gives you the what for. And of course, it's, it's Octopath Traveler. You do technically have to defeat him to be able to finish that part of the arc. So you beat him in actual battle with obviously your it's not one on one it's with your party members. But after after the battle ends and you get your XP or whatever it goes back into the cutscene and 
it does. This is the part that was so anime because right after the battle ends and you get back into the cutscene, Therion and Heathcote do the anime thing where they cross each other like this, both doing an attack. And then, like, Heathcote is the one that falls to the ground clutching his arm. And it's just like, man, what a samurai showdown move. Like, who doesn't do this awesome, cool anime thing that every show has? So that part I really liked. But Heathcote isn't dead. He's just injured. And he, you know, of course, they're talking and Therion's like, you know, I'm so cool. You thought you could prevent me from leaving, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, And Heathcote's like, well... You are good in battle. This is a fine way to cap off my victory. And Therion's like, beg pardon? What was that? And then he holds up Therion, he holds up his wrist, and he realizes that somehow, during the battle, Heathcote slipped onto him the Fool's Bangle, which is just this big cuff bracelet that marks him as a felon. It marks him as a convict, as a thief who got caught and oh the shame the insurmountable shame for Therion shame, were ding. anyone shame. to see it <laughs> were anyone to see him wearing this fool's band bangle they would know that he failed and you know Therion's pride he can't possibly have that mm-hmm. so again this is like an awesome off-screen introduction so after the butler basically explains to him what it is and Therion's like you better take this off of me right now old man in from the side of the room walks the lady of the house oh. Cordelia of House Ravis and she's a very fancy younger lady and she basically explains to Therion like well what you were trying to steal is one of my family's dragonstones of course, Therion's like, there's only one of them. And she's like, yeah, bitch, I need you to steal back the other three. Get out there. And that's Therion's call to adventure is mm-hmm. he's got to get this fool's bangle off of him. Uh, and in order to do that, Heathcote, who you probably couldn't be to get in battle because he's awesome. Uh, Heathcote isn't going to remove that bangle unless you bring back all three of the remaining Dragonstones to House Ravis. And that's how things end is you've got this mark of a convict on your wrist and now you have to get out there and keep stealing treasure i just love how it's set up i love how it was executed everything was so over the top dramatic it's one of my favorite moments in the game honestly well and like who expects to fight the butler, the butler. you know what i mean but like <laughs> it's also such a like wonderful how, surprise because I, you know you always see that in some movies like that too where it's like there's the the rich the rich house that the the thief is trying to get into and then you'd like the the butler is always kind of like seen as the henchman who's like kind of bad and like you know they could probably hold their own in a fight like if you had to but ultimately you're going to defeat them so it's very funny that this would be kind of switched where the butler discovers you the very first time you do it you then have to fight the butler and the butler wins like even though you may quote unquote win the fight he still wins in the long run you didn't win exactly yeah no that's pretty fun i guess i kind of glossed over this by accident um through context clues it is never stated outright but it is strongly hinted by Therion's questioning, like, old man, how do you know this much about how thieves work? Mm-hmm. So it is heavily implied that Heathcote probably has, you know, some stuff in his past mm. where he maybe himself was a master thief who decided to somehow go straight for House Ravis. Uh, so anyways, it's just a wonderful moment. Heathcote is my husbando for life. <laughs> old people representation in games i mean another point for a butler with a mysterious past i mean like look at alfred exactly the best butlers they they know how to get you out of a scrap 
They sure do. So that's my number two. Awesome. Well, my number two is going to another uh, another indie game, but where, but it's also the uh, the switch the polar opposite, I would say, of Greece in the fact that this one was all about over the top violence and action. It is my friend Pedro. I've wondered if that's what you're going to say. So my friend Pedro uh, is just a very it's one where you go through this these various levels, you know. Uh, side-scrolling platforming game but basically the the object is to going throughout the each level you're trying to rack up as many score as much score points as you can by uh, defeating your enemies in fantastical over-the-top crazy ways like one of the ways you can do it is you can kick a frying pan up into the air shoot it and it ricochets off the frying pan into multiple directions and hitting people wonderful it's ridiculous and wonderful but it's so this game has some incredibly fun moments anyway throughout the whole thing because of all these ridiculous gunfights you get. There's even parts where you could be rolling down a hallway, standing on top of a barrel, like rolling it underneath you, trying to stay on top. And you're you're still just like either running over or still like shooting people. It gets ridiculous and crazy. But this whole game what? is kind of a trippy fever dream, really, in a sense, because you're going through all these different areas, taking out all these uh, these different people who have ties to some kind of organization that are doing a lot of bad stuff. But the thing is though, you woke up with no memory in this warehouse of the first boss that you wind up fighting and killing. And you have no memory of how you got there, who you are, how you got there. But the only thing you really do know is that there's this floating banana, Pedro, who is telling you what to do and where to go and all this. And you're just kind of following being like, sure, what other option do I have? So you go through this whole entire game and you eventually defeat the first person you defeat is Mitch the Butcher. Then you defeat this other uh, guy, Danny, or is it Denny? Might be the one, Danny or Denny. And they and they are control of like a huge group of like bounty hunters and stuff. So you have to fight through all these bounty hunters. Then you finally fight this other uh, this woman, Ophelia. And once you defeat Ophelia, you then realize after Ophelia dies, Pedro shows up to you and is just like, "Hey, so." haven't been a hundred percent totally honest with you about what's all going on. Uh, long story short, basically you just killed your dad, brother and sister. Oh, sh- you shit. knew that they were all doing seedy stuff and you oh, needed to get out of no. this organization. So you locked yourself in, in the Mitch's butcher shop, knocked yourself out and erased your memory. So, and like this is so, so in essence, essence you are Pedro the banana it's like your oh, memories that's your consciousness consciousness like kind of speaking oh to you thing God. in a weird way and so but then he, and so then you have to resist you kind of when come to into facing this fact if this conversation ends with pedro being like so there's one more thing i have to do and the the, the floating banana then goes and like enters in your ear so you have the banana like sticking at you know those those uh those like um prop head things that you could make you look like you have an arrow sticking through your head, but it's like kind of thing you see in, used to see in old things. Well, it's basically what Pedro does, but it like goes in through your ear. So like half the banana sticking out one of your half, the banana sticking out the other. And then you like start picking up your gun, like to shoot yourself. And so you got to resist it. So this is the final boss. Then of my friend Pedro is resisting Pedro's final influence on you to kill yourself. So you have to fight oh my Pedro. Goodness. And so this is where the moment takes over. And I know this game sounds ridiculous and it was ridiculous, but then it, this is why this is a memorable moment to me though, because the final boss fought against Pedro while the fight itself is relatively easy. This part was just took the 
drug-induced trippiness of the whole thing to another level because to fight Pedro is you're suddenly like tra- you're I guess transported into your mind basically and Pedro is now a huge floaty banana chasing you in this very like it's almost the background of this looks almost like it's it's very like pink and and like kind of like a like neon pink but it's like you're floating in clouds and all this kind of stuff it's kind of what it looks like and then there's Pedro this huge banana taking up the whole screen uh, like on the one side and he like spits bombs out at you and you've got to shoot him and everything but you but how you're traversing through this mental plane is while flying on while riding on the back of a graceful flying walrus Oh my god! <laughs> or seal, and you're—it's just like going along in the air, and you're riding on its back, jumping off of it, dodging the bombs, and all this other stuff. And so you go and you're shooting at Pedro first, and Pedro's banana has little like smiley face on it, and he like that's where they like spits out the bombs and everything. After you beat the first stage of fighting Pedro, he then uh, will peel—he peels himself like halfway down to reveal like. The, his innards, which is like a rotting looking banana. So now he's like a zombie banana. And then he spits two guns up out of his mouth and starts shooting at you with these guns as you're still fleeing on the back oh of a flying gosh. walrus and continues to spit these bombs and all this. And then eventually just by dodging and jumping and avoiding all the projectiles and things that Pedro shoots at you, you're able to finally defeat Pedro and escape from your own mental prison kind of thing. My games kind of have a theme today. I don't know why. Yeah, what's up with you in mental prison? <laughs> I'm trapped in quarantine, Mogan. Get me out. But, oh, um, God, it's too real. <laughs> but no, uh, just this whole – the game had been crazy and zany up until this point. And then I've, I know you should go check out the soundtrack for this game too because it is just – it's it's all like electronic, heavy beats, you know, really high action, high intensity stuff, kind of really uncy uncy, you know what I'm saying. But it's just – so if you're picturing that kind of music – along with these very, very trippy visuals, it just is just, like I said, it just kicked up all this craziness of this game to a, another level that you hadn't seen really. And so just as a way to cap off this already in crazy, in crazy zany game, I just thought it did it incredibly well. It was the perfect way to end this game. And so that whole fight with Pedro and then just the revelation of how you got yourself into the situation in the first place oh was just a super like, wait, what twist? And then you had to fight this Gosh. floating banana while flying on the back of a walrus. And what else could you want, really? So, <laughs> what else could possibly what be desired? What else is there? <laughs> so that is uh, my memorable no- moment. Number two is from the the final boss fight of my friend Pedro. Well, how am I supposed to top that, Jared? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But what? But you can what? But blow us away though with what your number one memorable oh. moment is. So my number one is yet again a battle. Sort of, sort of. Hey, battles are super memorable. Yeah, exactly. Um, So mine is a very different tone, though, than my first two. My first two were kind of more about, like, victory, and even if it's a technically an empty victory, Therion, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of bombastic style like that. Um, The last one is much more memorable because it was so skin-crawlingly creepy. It was almost like a horror game uh, and it comes from dishonored 2 a game that i have not gotten to talk enough about and that i also still haven't finished so i really need to go back and finish that game because it's amazing and i feel bad that i haven't completed it already but this is going to be from the 
uh, finale of chapter three of Dishonored. Um, I'm not exactly sure how many chapters there are. I think there are at least six or seven. So this is right about the the midway point in the game. Uh, So I personally played as Emily. I didn't pick Corvo. I picked Emily as my player character. That doesn't really matter in context. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just for your information. So for chapter three, you go into it trying to solve a mystery that basically, why has Emily been framed as having killed the previous monarch, her own mother, Empress Jessamine? Uh, And why would she now be... You know, why is she now on the run? Who framed her? Who is this copper spoon woman that claims to be vaguely related to you that is now sitting on your throne mm-hmm. in, I want to say Dirtmouth, because that's from Hollow Knight. No. Uh, what is Shambly it? Town. I also want to say Doolin, but Dun- Dunwall! Dunwall! It's Dunwall! Yes. I was getting there. Uh, I was like, Dirt I Mouth, wanted to say Dunkirk, Dunkirk, and I was like, that's not real. <laughs> I mean, it is real, but it's not the correct answer for this. <laughs> so Emily is meant to be the current reigning empress of Dunwall, but she's been deposed by this mysterious figure, and you are basically hiding out in Karnaka. I think it's either Karnak or Karnaka, uh, which is more or less the, the Spain of your empire, because it's the south, it's very sunny, it's very beautiful, but it is also, much like Dunwall, rife with infection just below the surface Mm -hmm. so even here you haven't really escaped you know all of the grit and gross and grime that pervades the society that you live in so you're basically having to scuttle your way through the underbelly of karnaka i'm just gonna say karnaka and hope i'm right uh to figure out who framed you and how you can get your throne back so part of that is you know that there's somebody out there called the crown killer it's this mysterious mm-hmm. figure that has been assassinating, you know, public figures, and you don't, you haven't encountered this person yet, but you know that they're out there through newspaper clippings and through NPC dialogue. So, however, at this current time, you, I think, are trying to find Anton Sokolov, which by this point is basically Emily's mentor, because you, you first meet Sokolov in the first game. He's a really bad dude, actually. Like, his ethical infractions are way out there. But you're like, oh, Sokolov, you and your experiments on living humans. You (laughs) crazy science man. So in the second game, he's very much being cast as the eccentric scientist, which is really far from what his actual character is. But whatever. Yeah. We shouldn't, be hiding, we shouldn't be holding you in such high regard, sir. We shouldn't be like actively employing you. You're a bad dude. But <laughs> anyways, Emily loves Sokolov. And honestly, I do too, even though he's a terrible human rights violation, mad scientist. Uh, so you're trying to find Sokolov because you know that he can help you. He's definitely going to be on your side. So you're trying to figure out where he is by visiting a place called... I think it's Adermeyer. I'm pretty sure it's called the Adermeyer Institute. Unfortunately, I didn't really take notes. I didn't write this crap down. So we're just we're just winging it. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. So the Adermeyer Institute is a derelict hospital right off the bat. Creepy. Nothing is creepier than a derelict hospital. To make matters worse, it's on an island. Oh, that's asking for trouble. Asking for trouble. So you arrive on Adermeyer Island, I guess, uh, via a cable car. And when you get out, it's really empty. There kind of doesn't appear to be anybody around, but it's clearly still being occupied because you can hear uh, announcements coming over a PA system. 
So you, you of course, stealth your way in. You either kill blatantly or you kind of shuffle your way around as I do, passively uh, disabling enemies. Uh, and as you're making your way further into the Institute, you're encountering more and more creepy things on your way to find a character called Dr. Hypatia. So she's apparently a renowned doctor who has been able to... She found the cure for some sort of terrible illness that was uh, besieging miners of Kardaka. So she's really famous for finding this cure. She's a you know renowned doctor in her own right. So you're trying to find her because you believe that she knows where Sokolov is. Mm. And she's being held at this Adermeyer Institute... I can't really remember if it's exactly stated that she's a prisoner or if she's there voluntarily because there are guards swarming all over the place uh, and they might actually be guarding her. But again, I, I can't quite remember if it's because she's trapped there or if it's because she's a high profile person and she just needs the guards. Um, I can't exactly remember. But as you're getting deeper and deeper and higher and higher um, into the Adermeyer Institute, I think there are four or five levels of this place. So you're scaling ever higher, finding creepier stuff all the way. And eventually you get up to where Dr. Hypatia's office would be because you're hoping to find her there. As you enter into her office area, you kind of creep up on some NPCs, NPCs who are having a conversation about Dr. Hypatia and about some janitor. And you're like, okay, who's this janitor fellow? They're talking about him in a very conspiratorial way. Is it Ati from the hit game Control? Oh my God, if it were Ati, I would murder everyone in that place (laughs) to get to Ati. I would, no more stealth. I would brutally murder every last person to save Ati. But no, I think the, I think, I think his name is Hamilton. Like, I'm pretty sure it's Hamilton. Um, So you're like, okay, who's this janitor fellow Hamilton? Again, it's optional. You don't really have to go find him, but you should. So once the NPCs leave, you infiltrate Dr. Hypatia's office. You grab her key because you know that she is now in an area called the Recuperation Auditorium or Conservatorium or something, which for starters, creepy. Nobody calls anything a Recuperation Auditorium in a creepy derelict hospital. Mm -hmm. That's bad news already. So all throughout this lead up to meeting Dr. Hypatia is just this building sense of dread because you also find some additional uh, readings, some additional newspaper clippings about the crown killer. Creepy. And then you also find some like voice records uh, mm-hmm. from Dr. Hypatia herself, which again, she doesn't sound all there. She sounds like she's kind of maybe going insane and you're like oh this can't be good Mm -hmm. so through xyz means you do eventually make your way back down into the basement to find hamilton the janitor that entire scene is very creepy i actually don't think i was able to talk to hamilton um if you get to hamilton but not quickly enough like if you don't take action quickly enough there are actually two guards that wind up killing him because he knows something. Mm. He knows something. He's got some information and you're like, I got to talk to that guy. I don't think I got to him before they killed him. I think he was dead when I got there. So I was like, well, biscuits, but there is a, again, another pamphlet or a, a diary. There's a diary nearby that you can pick up and read some additional writings from Dr. Hypatia and, or Dr. Vosco. I think it actually might be Dr. Vosco's diary who is Dr. Hypatia's assistant. 
And his writings are like, ooh, something is going on with Dr. Hypatia. This is bad news bears. Mm-hmm. So you scale back up the building, either through stealth or through force, and you eventually find the recuperation auditorium, which getting there in the first place, very creepy. You have to go through a whole floor that is infested with a creature called blood flies. They are gross. Di- they, they are gigantic, hornet-like creatures that build nests and I think lay their eggs in the corpses of humans. Nope. Which is how they get their name, blood flies. Nope. They're horrible, horrible things. Not about those. And the only way to really stop them in their tracks is to set their nests on fire. So you go through this entire room, just nest after nest, just setting them on fire. And then you finally enter into what is the recuperation auditorium, which just looks like a creepy, like, autopsy room. I, I, I know that it was probably used for medical purposes at one point, but it sure certainly doesn't look like that now. Mm-hmm. And you actually find the living Dr. Hypatia. And she's working on something. Like, she's dissecting some sort of little creature. Not a human. It's just some sort of thing. Because she's doing her research, obviously. Yeah. And you can just talk to her. You can just walk up to her and start talking to her. And through the conversation with her, you realize that some... It's worse than you thought because you're having this conversation with her like, hey, I'm trying to find Anton Sokolov. Do you know where do you know where he is? And she can't really answer you. She gives you some hints. She's like, oh, I think he's at such and such manner, blah, blah, blah. But all throughout this conversation, she's not really looking you in your eye. Mm -hmm. And she keeps saying, what was that? Who called me? Like, she can hear something that you can't hear, and she's hearing someone call her, but there's no one around. It is just you two, and you're like, oh, God, this is bad news. So you can, I think you actually can just straight up kill her then and there, but that's obviously not what I did. So after the conversation with her ends, you can kind of explore this recuperation auditorium a bit more. And if you go a bit further back, on a cot in a back room is just... I mean, he basically looks like a corpse, but he's still technically alive. It's her assistant, Dr. Vosco. Oh. And he is in a bad way. His head is all bloodied, wrapped up in bandages. He's not wearing a shirt, and his chest is just a disaster of slashes. He's a bloody mess. He's not already dead, but he will shortly be. He is on his way out. But he's technically still alive, and you can talk to him. And he reveals to you that, oh my god, you know, I'm so glad you're here. Dr. Hypatia is the crown killer. Uh, And he reveals that through her studies with creating this cure for whatever disease was infecting the miners, Mm -hmm. apparently the first batch was real bad. Uh And Dr. Hypatia herself was exposed to it, and it, like, destroyed her mind. It drove her insane. Leading her to be uniquely susceptible to being used as an assassin. So someone is taking advantage of her more vulnerable state now that her mind is basically shattered to sick her on people, to have her just brutally murder and assassinate whoever they need her to. And that's part of the conspiracy that you're trying to get to the bottom of. But after your conversation with Dr. Vosco ends, the music like steadily creeps up and you're like, oh God, what is happening here? And then something like there's a big commotion. You hear this horrendous like screeching sound come from Dr. Hypatia. 
and a big filing cabinet gets thrown through the window of the oh. room that you Dr. Vosco. It hits you, like it knocks you back, and it kind of covers you. So from under the cover of this cabinet, you see Dr. Hypatia just gra- like in this dis- just distorted state, like she does it, she's like all hunched over, very feral and a- animalistic. Yeah. And she grabs Dr. Vosco, throws him back into the other room, and you hear her shout something to the extent of, I've always wondered how your flesh tastes, my dear assistant. Like she's gonna eat Whoa. him. She's going to kill him and eat him. So he's dead. Like, Dr. Vosco is just, he's gone. And you're yeah. like, oh, shit. But before he died, um, he let you know that he has figured out a counter cure for whatever is aff- afflicting Dr. Hypatia. Mm-hmm. So he's like, if you go to my office, get into my safe, here's the code. You can create the serum yourself. So again, you can either choose to kill her right then and there, or you can go to Dr. Vosco's office and get the ingredients to make an anti-serum. That's what I did. So I go and get all the stuff, and this final encounter with Dr. Hypatia was so creepy, I couldn't get enough of it. So I went through XYZ things to get all the ingredients. I've got my anti-serum just like in this big syringe, and I'm like, I'm coming for you, lady. Hang on, I've got a pen here. Time to stab with a needle. (laughs) Like, I'm coming for you. I'm going to save you whether you like it or not. But your final showdown with her is in, it, it is both the least creepy and the creepiest room in this entire place. Because basically, it's kind of like a U-shaped, uh, two-story, very open, airy auditorium. Like, mm-hmm. this is what you would have thought an auditorium would be. There's glass windows on all sides. There are big bookshelves all over the place. It kind of looks like a library. And you're like, well, this is a lovely, nice room. This is a room that patients could actually probably recuperate in. But as you're entering into this room, you are hearing Dr. Hypatia in her distorted crown killer form skulk around looking for you. And you like hear her sniffing the air even. Like she is very much hunting you. And it's so wonderfully creepy. Like, and the minute she kind of uh, picks up on your presence, she just goes wild. She is actively trying to just brutally murder you. Like, I'm just trying to help you, lady. So I'm like creeping around on the tops of these bookshelves, trying to basically sneak up on her and get the drop on her. Yeah. And the scene is just done so well. It has been ramping up to this point of just ultimate creepdom. You even find a room off the side of this big auditorium that is, you know that meme from It's Always Sunny where I think it's Charlie and he's pointing at like his conspiracy wall of string stuff? It's that to the T. It's basically all of the additional evidence that you needed to show Dr. Hypatia is 100% the crown killer. She has absolutely lost her mind. Mm -hmm. This is bad, bad, bad. So eventually I did get the drop on her and managed to to not kill her, but to give her the anti-serum or whatever. But God, just getting to that point was so artfully crafted of just growing dread, growing panic at Mm -hmm. being hunted by this monstrous woman. And then finally getting to the point where you were able to overcome her and hopefully help her. Yeah. (laughs) But also now she has to live with the fact that she murdered a lot of people. Lots of people, which, yeah, that's not, that's not good. But I mean, that's, that's really well done then because it's like Dishonored, while they have like, like you were saying, like horrific leanings, especially with like the rat hordes and everything that are going through and like the, the corpse flies and stuff like that, or corpse flies or blood flies. 
blood flies. Blood flies. Um, you know, it's like for it to take that turn into a very horror setting is really cool for it to kind of have that like detour to fully embrace the horror side of the game and everything. That's pre- that is pretty fun. And yeah, oh, this, that sounds terrible. like a, a crazy part of the game that I would love to see. Uh, so just, just skin crawling. <laughs> yeah. sounds like it because especially like when she takes the doctor, her assistant and is like, I want to eat you. And it's like, oh, no, oh you're not supposed to do that. that. So because all you could do was sit there and watch you're Ugh. trapped under this island cabinet. There's nothing you can do to save him at that Ugh. point. That sounds so unsettling. <laughs> Good heavens. All right. Well, my last game that I want to talk about today is not about mental things and mental prisons. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm very sure this time. Uh, but no, it is from Red Dead Redemption 2. Ooh, so okay. Red Dead Redemption 2, there are actually a couple different parts, and I couldn't quite figure out which one I wanted to do, which I wanted to talk about. One of them was really cool, and it takes place. I'll just mention it's kind of like an honorable mention thing. But basically, uh, Red Dead Redemption Two is a prequel to Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption, and in the epilogue of Red Dead Redemption Two, you get to play as John Marston, who is the main character of the first game. So, but there's this moment in there where he, you know, he's been trying to like stay away from violence once he's been a part of the Benny's. Once he's been separated from the Dutch Vanderlyn gang because he has a wife and a son, he's trying to you know build a family and build a life for them. Uh, but eventually, he gets drugged back into his old ways a little bit. In the first moment that in the epilogue, when he does actually have to like fight and kill someone again, it there's a shot in the game that absolutely mirrors the cover art of the first Red Dead game of him holding a gun, like staring down at it. And it was, it was just so cool that when that scene happened, I was like, that's the cover. That's the cover from the first game. And I love, and it just made me forget like that. So that was why I wanted to mention that one because it was super fun. But the big part of Red Dead two that really stood out to me, although there were, as I look back on it more, a lot of parts that stood out to me. But one of the things that I think Red Dead two did well is it would always have these buildups to some kind of climax. Cause what's happening is you as Arthur Morgan are on the run with the Dutch Vanderlyn gang. You had a, a, a job that went South in this one town. You lost a couple of your gang members there. You're just on the run trying to get away. But their leader Dutch Vanderlyn is always on the lookout for another way for him to make some money. He's always telling you, I've got a plan, Arthur, I've got a plan. Just need some money. Then we can get to Tahiti. And that's what he keeps like sell, trying to sell you on this big plan of his. But Throughout the course of the game, these plans keep never coming to fruition. And he keeps dragging you on with, oh, I just got another plan. I just got another plan. So you roll up in this town or outside this town roads. And when you're in this town, you realize that there are these two families who have been there for a long time, the Greys and the Braithwaites. And they're both they're at war with each other. They're fighting. And Dutch is like, cool. I can play these two families against each other. We can get into bed with both of them, work this against it where we're going to come out on top because both these families have some money and that's what we need. We just need money. And so you throughout the course of events and trying to play these two families on both sides, they eventually both of them get wise to you because again, Dutch's plans, while they may sound great in theory, never quite pan out the way they're supposed to. And so the grays eventually turn on you and ambush you and a few other gang members in town and wind up killing it, killing one. The Braithwaites wind up kidnapping John Marston's child, Jack, who's like a 
probably like four or five years old at this point and taking him hostage. And so we're like, well, this obviously cannot stand, even though, yes, we were the instigators and kind of like put ourselves in the middle here of your little problem instead of just taking a back seat and not messing with it. But now, obviously, this can't stand because you've taken one of our own. So it's this all this buildup and all these different schemes and everything have been working towards this moment because, yeah, the, the Greys and the Braithwaite's may have been at each other's throats for a long time, but Dutch inserting himself and the gang into this just took it to another extreme. And now they're both – everybody's on high alert. People are getting killed now. And so it just all results in this final confrontation at the Braithwaite Manor because now Dutch is like – this may have failed and this might be my fault, but you know, no, no, we can turn this around. We can still find the, there, it's rumored the Braithwaites especially have some like civil war money held over that they're like, that, that they're keeping held in their, in their, um, in their main home. And so Dutch is like, we can still turn this around. We can get Jack back and we can get all that money. So like, let's, let's work this to our situation. So you wind up going to the Braithwaites land, to the Braithwaite Manor in the cover of darkness. And what's so cool about this is because you're riding up, you're on, on, on horseback, Dutch and the whole rest of the gang are, are there, and you're riding up and you're riding down this wrong, long, straight road to the main house. And it's just typical, like, it just has these huge, like, lined with these huge trees all the way down. So you can just see the manor house at the end of the road and you're just slowly getting close to it. And it's all illuminated by by torchlight and everything like that. And so, and you're just kind of getting closer and closer and closer. And it's just this, this, when I say that Red Dead 2 has done, does a really good job of building up conflict, it also has a really good way of bringing these conflicts to a resolution. And this happens multiple times in the game here at the Braithwaite Manor. And then another point later on, where you help lead a raid on a uh, oil company, on an oil com- factory and everything. But just these ways of presenting these like fortresses, in this case, the Braithwaite Manor House, in the other case, the oil, the oil field, and just how you like ride up to them. And it really captures this like you against many feeling, even though you're technically, you know, like you're still a bad guy because you're an outlaw. And, and depending on how you play the game, you're either making honorable or dishonorable choices, but you just feel this like, David against Goliath feel to it as you like are walking up to it and you just know this is going to be a just a huge fight and this tension is building and you've got the like the incredible score behind you just kind of like building up the tension of the moment and you're walking up to this and again it's so eventually it hits the limit the powder keg explodes and this huge gunfight erupts outside the the this Braithwaite Manor again all in the cover of darkness lit by torches. It's just an incredibly well done scene as you're running, as you're ducking for cover, just getting shot at more Braithwaites and their men keep coming out from the house and other areas from the fields or surrounding. And it's just what you super feel completely outnumbered. But this is kind of the thing that like always makes and why the Vanderland gang stuck around for so long because of how well Dutch can hold these people together and like make them see that what the path that they're on is the true path to glory kind of thing. And so you have all this and you know there you're there too because you're there to rescue John Marston's son. And so that has and that even you can tell is like the bigger driving force why Arthur's there because he's like, nah, it's like at this point in the game, Arthur is still with Dutch, but his loyalty and allegiance to him is kind of starting to wane because he can tell that Dutch is leading the group on a bad path. We're constantly gonna be going to the next place to try to find get to fulfill Dutch's plan. And so 
you're there for this very personal thing because John is one of your very close friends and you love his son. His son calls you all Uncle Arthur like as you, as you walk around in the camp and talk to him. So it's like it's a it's like you got to make sure that kid that is what you're there for. You're there to get Jack out. And so yeah. it's just this. And so eventually after you fight off the people from the main from the main, uh, you know, in the front yard and surrounding areas that you eventually go into the manor. And then it's just this taking it room by room, searching for Jack as people, more people trying to get to search for you. And then of course, as thing goes on, the Braithwaite manor catches on fire. And so then it's just like starting to slowly build. And this huge house is just starting to slowly be overcome by the flames and everything. And man, it just, and it just finally ends with, Dutch and the with Arthur and the Vandaling gang just all standing outside the house, just watching this huge manor just burn to the ground as you as you're like illuminated, you know, illuminating your faces. And again, just how well on a technical level that game is from its you know its graphical styles and its and its achievement and how just damn pretty that game looks. The scene is just well lit, looks incredible. Uh, and so it was just one of those moments that just this storming of this manor just like really stuck with me because you get there and you figure out that the Braithwaite's then realizing that Dutch was probably going to come after him sold or or gave off uh, John's son to this uh, crime boss basically in a, in a neighboring town. So then that like sets off the next branch of this continuing unraveling of the Vanderlyn gang and its story. And so it's just how they're able to like move, use these huge set piece moments like this and these resolutions to these conflicts that still never quite pan out how you want but just leaves Arthur even more flustered as he's like, this isn't what we need to be doing. This isn't what we, who we should be. And this honestly isn't who I should feel like I should be as a person anymore, but he keeps getting drug into these situations and everything like that. It was just a truly awesome part of that game. And yeah, just, but just still the, the imagery of riding your horses up this long road, seeing the manor house getting closer and closer. And then just, that final shot of it just on on fire. I'm pretty sure I took some capture, some screen captures of that of that section, uh, some screenshots and everything. So I'll share those in our Discord and everything like that. But man, that was a super cool part. So if, uh, but yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. So that's why it sticks for for this volume of memorable moments. That's why it hits as my number one, just because that part was insanely cool. What's up with manor houses? They just make for cool moments, right? I know. Just any any big manor house, just what a fun time. <laughs> yeah. And it was really cool too because like I remember especially in that one too, like one of the things Red Dead did also, if you ever got it has the option to do dead eye where it can slow time and you can like, you know, increase your, your accuracy or like even if you're doing a duel or something like that, you can pull it up and like place where you want all six of your shots to go. And then you, then it's goes in real time. It goes pop, 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 like fanning the hammer thing kind of, th- so you can do all that kind of stuff, but it automatically will do that if whenever you land a headshot in the game. And so like, I remember one of the first, th- what I think another reason why this sticks in my head and I did take like a video recording of this too is one of the first rooms I went into once we got inside the manor house is I run up these stairs and I think the Jackson like this one room. So I kick in a door. And as soon as I kick into the door, this guy pops up from behind a couch and, you know, points his gun at me. And I just like instinctively pulled up the shotgun I was using and it fired and it scored a headshot. But also because Red Dead is a very mature game and taking like the dude's head goes kablooey. But it does it all in like this Goodness. like very cinematic, like slow motion cutscene and i was just oh, like oh so oh, it's like so raw and so <laughs> just all these things just how that game handles its conflict and its and its resolutions in that way expertly well done and that i think just is one of the t- 
top moments of the game for me in just one of these yeah. conflicts and fights that you get into. It was it was a good time. So excellent storytelling. But uh, but yeah, that is that tops my list. But and then tops finishes off both of our lists, I guess, for memorable moments for volume two in this topic. Obviously, if you have any great moments from video games that you would like to share with us, please let us know by sending us an email, teamchatpodcast at gmail.com, joining our Discord, telling us about it there, finding us on social media, letting us know all those different places. We would love to hear from you. But before we go, we do have to do our soundtrack spotlight, which Mogan has prepared for us from one of our games. So can you let us know what great song the people will be hearing today? So because I have just finished Ophelia's final chapter four um, in Octopath Traveler, I wanted to highlight uh, part one of what is actually kind of a two-part battle theme for her. So this is Ophelia Boss Battle 1. Four Light plus Decisive Battle 1. Awesome. From Octopath Traveler, correct? Yes, which has a number of composers. So regrettably, I do not have the full list or know exactly who it was that composed this particular track. By various. So, uh, but so enjoy this uh, battle theme of Ophelia's from uh, Octopath Traveler after the close of the episode, which is pretty much now. But until next time, everybody, thanks for joining us on another episode of Team Chat Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined across the power of the internet by Rachel Mogan. Adios. We'll see you all next week for another great gaming topic. Until then, stick around for the song. Mm-hmm.